0: You've all heard of the American dream, obviously, but have you heard of the new universal dream? What's that? Well, perhaps it's a chance for humanity to evolve. Curious? Stick around and learn more. Friends and family, welcome to Datages. I'm excited because today's episode has the potential to be really perspective changing and paradigm shifting for many of us. Today, we're picking up on a topic covered previously on Datages. It was covered during our three-part series on charity and philanthropy. And the datage is, the greatest investment you can make in yourself is investing in the lives of others. Today, we get to take this data to another level. And I'm incredibly excited to dive deeper with today's guest because he's written a transformative, prototypical autobiography that is totally on point. Because he and I have many common threads in our backgrounds and experiences that should help us to really tackle some of the important topics we're going to cover today. Steve Farrell, like me, was a Silicon Valley entrepreneur but he was far more successful in the days of the first dot-com boom than I was in my ventures in Silicon Valley. He established and built not one, but two tech firms and parlayed hard work and being in exactly the right place at the right time into substantial financial and business achievement. Then he pivoted, as we'll discuss in detail today, to join one of his greatest mentors to lead Humanities Team, a global nonprofit helping people everywhere awaken to our interconnectedness, our oneness, through a worldwide multi-platform organization. Steve's new book, A New Universal Dream, published earlier this year, details his journey from a young entrepreneur to a life in service to you men. Steve, welcome to Datages, and thank you so much for being here today.
1: Chad, thanks for having me. I've uh, really been looking forward to this
0: program with you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Steve, let's just get to it because we have a lot of ground to cover today. A New Universal Dream. Big title. I like it. I love big things. Can you explain for us what is the New Universal Dream and what does it mean?
1: You bet. So, and of course, this is the title of my book that just came out, A New Universal Dream. And I'll just share, it does follow a 50 plus year timeline. So, which is my personal story. A guy, young man, age 12, divorced mom, six sibling, little home. Probably most of us grew up that way Humble beginnings and, and then out to amazing things in Silicon Valley. And then on to my real, you know, what I say, what I was made for, which is this conscious living thing. So a new universal dream, which is the title of the book, is living into ultimate reality. Because science is affirming what mystics shared so many years ago. Conversations with God, as you know, was a big Personal awakening device for me. That yeah. yeah. we are, are one. You know, with God and and uh, each other, the planet, all of the cosmos, all of life, and the new universal dream. And again, and science is affirming this. So all the way back to Einstein and Bohm, uh, Erwin Schrödinger, and and then contemporary scientists. So and they're saying yes, it's true. They're in science language. They're saying we are sovereign to one body. Right. So we're cells in the body, the super organism which is the cosmos, which is the universe. The entire universe, universe yeah. It's like So the new universal dream is simply living into that. Uh, Einstein called this an optical delusion where we see, oh, you know, we're clearly all separate from each other and the earth, et cetera. And we're living into that optical delusion. He had this quote that says, that's a prison for us. If you remember that quote, many of us have seen it. And our he says, our job must be to free ourselves from this prison, you know, and to live into this unity, to this this oneness, which is the universe. So. The new universal dream is nothing more than understanding ultimate reality that we're actually deeply interconnected, that there's a universal consciousness animating all of life, that we're cells in that body of this superorganism, or, or you could say offspring of the divine. I grew up in the Christian church. You know, we're made in the likeness and image of God. Well, that means we're offspring of the divine, of the one, and we're all deeply connected. And when we live into that universal dream, when... Our life becomes about being in service, giving ourselves away, that's when we come into a really delicious life. And the beautiful thing is, is there's an inside-out job going on because we become transformed when we live into that. And when enough of us live into it together, the whole Malcolm Gladwell thing kicks in. Eight percent of, whoop, tipping point. And the world is, moves in this direction of a sustainable and flourishing earth. And then our kids and future generations inherit the beautiful planet that us boomers grew up in,
0: absolutely. And one of the things that I love so much about the book, and I've read it cover to cover and parts of it more than once already, one of the things I love so much is as you said, this is not just a manual for how to live your life, meaning talking to somebody else. it's how you have lived your life, Steve. Can you share with us a few of the key insights about your background and what led you to a new universal dream?
1: You bet so. So there are really three parts to this story, my journey, which I share in the book, the growing up part with all the brothers and sisters, parents that don't have a lot of money. So I paid for my braces, you know, when I was 12 for my paper out, nice orthodontist says five or 10 a month works fine uh, until my- part of
0: your book. I'm going to read to my boys over <laughs> and over again.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's good, you know, because you, you get responsibility young. So And then, really, it starts becoming kind of unbelievable, this journey that I've lived, because then I move out to California from the East Coast, Northern Virginia, just outside Washington, D.C., and I find myself there in the center of wealth creation in Silicon Valley, starting two companies that are in the right place at the right time. So two guys, use furniture, very small executive suite, the first company Everybody thought I'd lost my mind. Entrepreneurship wasn't so popular in 1990 when I started my first company. And uh, bam, we—you know the internet uh, and personal computer come along. We grew like crazy. So we grew to 75 million over 10 years. And then we started a second company inside the first company. We grew that to 75 million in two years. And then that gave me entrance into what I'm gonna call the club. So the Silicon Valley elite yeah. where people like Gavin Newsom was in my chapter, my business chapter. Hamid Mogadam, who runs oh, pl- the, largest, the largest real estate equity trust in the whole world.
0: He's a um, great guy. was
1: my friend. So all of that happens. And in the midst of all of that, I had I had my personal awakening, where what I was starting with, uh, this universal dream, was like, oh, my God, you know, I'm actually part of a much larger tapestry and i know why i'm here that i'm offspring of the one you know again i grew i was actually an altar boy in the in the catholic church growing up i'm not sure i really lived into that and i'm not sure the church really talks about how to live into that so much as the nonprofit that i work for now humanities team with this personal awakening everything changes so because it's a self identification thing where we really understand no we are have the properties of the one this is part of what this oneness or diversity and unity thing means and the question becomes in today's world so with all the challenges that are going on in the world what do we want to do how do we want to what do we want to attend to how can we make the world a healthier place and so this is what caused me to lose my passion then for business and to feel like i was playing a, a child's game just starting and growing companies. And it's why I ended up selling everything, leaving the Business Association, moving my family to Boulder, Colorado, launching Humanities Team with Neil Donald Walsh, who wrote uh, the Conversations with God material. And here I am, we're 20 years into Humanities Team now. Now we have the largest conscious streaming platform in the whole world. And we're a nonprofit organization and we're supporting people on the conscious journey. So that's just, I'm flying real high here. But that's sure, cutting that's the arc awesome. of this.
0: Yeah, and, and thank you for sharing that background, and and I really appreciate the depth into that background that you go within the book itself. It's remarkable how much you open up your life and really use it as a blueprint for how you went on this journey and how others can go on the same journey in their lives. And and let's focus on a few of the key concepts that you mentioned as you were explaining all that to us. The big one, this unifying theme of oneness. Can you explain a little bit more about what that means and how we might as individuals see that in our lives manifested for us? You bet. So,
1: you know, it it goes back to it starts with, again, a lot of here in this country, in the United States, many of us grew up in Christian traditions. And the Bible says we're made in the likeness and image of God. You go Google that and or bang it. And it says, you know, we're actually offspring. That's what it means. We're offspring of the one. So the science that has come in is quite interesting. Einstein in 1921 shared the greatest illusion of the world is the illusion of separation. Uh, so, so that's 102 years ago. Yeah. So isn't it interesting? We haven't made great progress. on that
0: yet. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, sure. it's remarkable, like when you go and watch Oppenheimer, to think Einstein was at the peak of his productivity a century ago.
1: That's it. Yeah, that's it. And of course, in that same time frame, he said that no problem can be solved at the same level of consciousness that created it. So he's saying we've got to elevate consciousness, right, to to really uh, create a solution, which brings us, you know, we'll come back to that in, ter- in terms of today's world and what we want to do with that. He was perhaps the most renowned scientist that came along, though Erwin Schrodinger, who won the Nobel Prize for Physics, I think it was 1934. Mm-hmm. He says, quantum physics thus reveals a oneness of the universe. So. Other Nobel Prize winners. And then you had David Baum. Most people have heard of him. And and actually through history, uh, there's Plato, Hippocrates. I mean, there's a there's a lot of scientists. A and long a stupid, and illustrious geez.
0: list of names we all know.
1: Right. And they're and they all said, you know, there's no plural in consciousness, which, you know, if you to get your head around that, that means there's only one consciousness of which we are all a part, right? Many people have heard this, and even so. You could frame it as, well, so there's a universal consciousness animating all of life. Uh, That doesn't feel like so much of a departure for most of us. So that's saying there's one big, massive consciousness that's omnipresent, right, across the whole cosmos and universe. We're all points of presence or bodies of that presence uh, or offspring of that presence. Yes, consciousness
0: Uh, is one of the other themes that I really see pervasive within your book. And I understand the concept. I appreciate you explaining this universal consciousness. But for individuals who want to live consciously, what does that mean exactly? So
1: what that means is that we're, we have a daily practice that's huge. And yeah. during that daily practice, we're communing with this universal consciousness. I'll call it God or the divine, mm-hmm. where uh, we're actually Feeling into this role that we're playing, not only of being a part of the one, communing with the one, but being a healing element, uh, alchemy uh, here at this time with all of these, you know, the the war here in Israel that just yeah. launched this past weekend. It's like, oh, my God, can you believe it? You know, On top of everything else going on
0: here in Miami, as you can see in the background, uh, the tropical jungle behind mm-hmm. me with a family that is Israeli. And uh, there's a lot of fear and a lot of concern about everything that's going on. And I do think it's worth us taking a pause for a moment here to acknowledge that the great suffering, the tragedy, and the strife that's going on there, and everyone that are losing their lives, family members, friends, their homes. And I just want to reach out to all of them and say that our thoughts and prayers are with all of you.
1: Yeah, amen. Thank you, Chair, let's, let's do that and just take a moment here and breathe into... This okay. uh, there's there's great challenge, people transitioning. You calling a loss of life, just war like this like is this. the worst yes. thing that can happen. Kids, uh, well, elders, you know, even as we speak, there's loss of life everywhere. So yeah, it's a uh, it's a horror story. Really, it's yeah. playing
0: out. Talk about that oneness that the damage is to all of us. There's no yeah. way we can all avoid being damaged by such a terrible circumstance.
1: Exactly. No, because we're we're one, and you can actually. So this oneness, you know, where you share on a daily basis, how do we feel it? What do we do with it? So we can actually, as we attune our, I call it aligning with the divine. So once we, as we align our lives with the oneness, with the divine, we naturally become actually alchemists, healers, uh, in terms of with prayer, in terms of the work that we do, we affirm life and we want to serve life first. That's what we naturally do when we align with the divine. That's where... When we go from the logic center of our mind, which is me in Silicon Valley, to the wisdom center of our soul, which is just naturally happens. I didn't try and do that. It mm-hmm. just happens as we're becoming more conscious, as we're living into oneness. So you notice, oh my God, I, I am not even thinking about it so much. I'm now feeling into it. Yeah. And as I feel into it, I can feel into this beautiful, loving presence, which is the divine. I can feel into other people. You know, I could we could spend time on that. I won't go much deeper. But. You can actually walk by people and just see them, just a glimpse of them and notice you can actually feel into their whole life in many cases, just with a glimpse. That's part of what this oneness thing is. So with a daily practice where we become anchored in this, the way I describe it is I moved from my roller coaster life of, oh, today's kind of a bad day. You know, the next day, oh, today's a pretty good day. Just kind of up and down and all over to now I'm like on a raft. So, and I'm floating up above that. And now if my challenges don't go away, there still are plenty of challenges in my life. But I'm approaching them from a whole new space, from a new place, from a new level of consciousness, from where I know I'm everlasting life is my basic property, that I'm here to do important work, that I'm actually being guided and supported in all of the work I'm doing. I call it, people talk about autonomous driving. For me, it's autonomous living, you know, where yeah. you trust it. And it's like, oh, no, yeah, with yeah. <laughs> and you can feel resources coming in. Humanities team, you know, these two for profits that grew mammothly, so so rapidly, and now Humanities team went from nothing to what it is now. That yeah. wasn't me. That was a, That was the you know the wind at my back. That was the universe working through me, and me just being its receptacle—the l- arms and legs and lungs of of it. You know. That's really, States, oh,
0: you got really lucky that all of that came together. And I always tell people, I at this stage in my life, I've learned not to believe in luck. I only believe in providence.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's it. Providence, you know, is where we trust it. So, and this is, by the way, just the thread here through this whole book of 50 plus years is, was I, I tuned out the worldly noise, my well-meaning parents and brothers and sisters who said, when I was leaving Silicon Valley, they said, Steve. You got your lottery ticket. You're, you're putting a lot you know, to your lottery ticket. What are you doing? Right. And they were they loved me. You know, they were well meaning. They did but they couldn't see that there's something, you know, it was a kids' game, what I was doing, just yeah. starting companies and growing them at this time when there are these all these challenges out in the world and where I'm now doing something so much more important, creating these educational programs with scientists, with spiritual leaders, embodied practices, philosophers. Yeah. Yeah all these things, hundreds of these programs that we create and that we're translating now in 75 languages, all the new programs. So isn't that cool? And we're a nonprofit, so we're just keep getting the price down and down and down. And we have a one for one, so we give it away half the time. Boy, let me tell you, when we put ourselves in service like this, I know you know this, Chad, It's why you're doing what you do with your program. When we put ourselves in service like this, we do have a wind at our back. Resources show up, people. Programs, funding, you know, all the things that we need to uh, scale. Yeah, that's,
0: I that's a great, that's a great segue. And, yeah, it's an amazing segue. And I'll remind everyone that the dadage behind today's episode is the greatest investment you can make in yourself is investing in the lives of others. Can you talk a little bit more about how living this new universal dream, making it a practice in your life, how it can truly pay dividends for you as an individual?
1: Absolutely. Gosh, you know, in every way. So, because that's its whole thing, aligning with the divine, uh, the the divine and life become interchangeable words. So the thing I'm very conscious of from the moment I wake up in the morning to when I hit the pillow at night is, is this is an extremely challenged world. We, most of us still are believing the old science of, I'm just a physical body, you know, and I'm separate from you and I'm separate from the world around me. When we live in that, reality where it's just physical body and separate from everything, what do you naturally do? Well, build treasure, you know, and a castle. That's what you do. Now, when you awaken, oh, no, but I'm actually, you're a part of me and I'm a part of you and the world around me. And there's some challenges here and the earth could use some attention and where I align with that. And then I find all of these, you know, uh, miracles and synergies and synchronicities happening, things coming to me because I'm I'm basically there's no higher prerogative than than life, serving life first. So we won't, I don't know that we'll even get into this in this program, but remember my background is entrepreneurial. A part of what I do is train entrepreneurs to be conscious entrepreneurs where the business now becomes this, the same question where the business is in service to the community and the world around us where there are incredible opportunities because the consumer loves, 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 loves a business that. Whose focus is just nurturing communities, nurturing life, and that's its first thing. and yes, of course, there's cash flow and income statements and balance sheets and all of those kinds of things. But the thing is is where we're really our overarching theme, our heart's desire is to really be in service. People can feel it. they can feel it in the way that you're hiring and recruiting. they can feel it in the culture that you create. Right. so that that is really the whole thing is is being in service to life around me. I could even, you know, when when you want, I could even compare this to a, a, what I'll call the Galileo moment, which which does kind of go into this.
0: Why don't, why don't we, we get into that? Tell us about the Galileo moment.
1: Okay. So about four months ago, I'm walking around my house. I was actually in my kitchen and dropped into my head this term Galileo moment. And I'm like, what is a Galileo <laughs> what, what? And why was this dropped into my head? So... I went and and Googled and binged it and, oh, okay, I I remembered some of this from school that Galileo, yeah, lived in the 1500s and 1600s, early 1600s, created a, got a telescope, looked out on the universe, and he said, oh, you know, uh, there's a false sense of reality here, you know, at that time in 1610, everybody thought that the whole universe was revolving around the earth, the earth was the center of the universe, so, and he said, you know, it isn't so. <laughs> actually, we revolve with other planets in a, around the sun. We're actually in a solar system, and we're at the edge of the universe. So it's not at all the Earth in the center of the universe. Now, that was actually a dangerous time for this man to yeah. try and expose this false reality because there was the Inquisition back then. Yeah, and they yeah. said, hey, you know, whoa, this is really treading on sacred ground. They said, you need to renounce this and renounce this right now he was under house arrest already and he said uh, okay cuz he was they were actually going to going you know they were killing people at this time of the inquisition right. so he renounced it and they so he was only under house arrest to the end of his life now mm-hmm. other people had telescopes and observed the same thing so it was too too late you know camel all out of the barn now yeah. uh, the thing here is is this was a false reality he exposed and today there's a more urgent and more important false reality that we need to expose. And that's why it dropped into my head. I know where that came from, by the yeah. way. It's that we're living today, you know, as I mentioned, in the old science of we're just physical bodies. You know, we go to bones and dust and we're we're separate from each other. And these two things, the separation and physical only, are the things that are causing ma- the macrocosm, I'll call it, out in the world where we have wars and extreme weather that's getting worse and all these things. Because we're really only focused on just gathering treasure, you know, is kind of in, in the old American dream and the higher rungs of the ladder. What's incumbent on us, if we believe this is true, is that there's no longer a single person, Galileo, who puts up his hand and takes it all for it for the team, you know, That's says, right. I'll do it, you know, put it on my shoulders. Now it's all of us. All of us are, are the Galileos of our time where we understand, no, we're spiritual beings inhabiting a physical body and our life goes on forever in many ways the physical body is the least consequential thing it's sort of like the chrysalis you know or the yeah. dried yeah. remains of the, the process of going to butterfly a physical yeah. body likewise is going to just be physical remains that deteriorates the, the important thing that we need to understand is this spiritual universe an energetic universe a vibrational universe everything's energy as is true of all bodies the super organism that that I'm calling the divine or the cosmos and just to get really spiritual with it. You know, again, we are offspring of the divine. So we're not just cells in a body. We are offspring of the divine. I, what I believe Chad is that we actually, and before we were born, put up our hand and said, yes, I'll go down to this planet earth. I'll be part of one of the Galileos. I will live into, into the, this new truth that I'm a spiritual being. I will serve life first. I will, do my level best to bring health and well-being to the planet so that future generations can find a sustainable and flourishing Earth. That's what I believe, that we, each of us, are on a spiritual mission of sorts mm-hmm. to not only awaken ourselves, but to awaken the world around us, to be in service to the world around us. And actually, here's the, the interesting thing. As you know, in my book, I talk a lot about the private jet world in Silicon Valley. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I didn't find the delicious life there. In fact, I found all the stress and and pressure and when we live the way i'm talking about when we put ourselves in service when we give ourselves away that's where the delicious life comes up even if the world didn't need our help where we live this way we live an incredibly delicious life and then again where enough of us start living this way together bam, we create a whole new earth we do the galileo thing we change yeah. the world as we know it it is an inside out stuff. job it has yeah, to start just life
0: I, I really like that notion while you explain the importance of the spiritual being, I hope for the sake of your physical being that you never have as a result of your Galileo moment to have to spend the rest of your life on house arrest because you have way too much good work left to do and need to be out there in the world. And I actually do want to spend some time talking about that as a fellow founder of a nonprofit organization. I really want to get into some of the nuts and bolts of the process of building an organization with such an important mission, I latch on to this notion of BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals, and, and the notion that is expressed in actually one of the earlier episodes of datages where the datage for that episode was, if you think one person can't reshape the world around them, try driving a bulldozer. If you really want to change the world, learn to operate heavy machinery. And the whole premise of that episode is sort of laying a framework for how to execute on the development of a nonprofit organization and how to be successful in chasing after these big, hairy, audacious goals. And as you said, the humanities team is going on 20 years now. You've absolutely tackled some amazing BHAGs. When I went through your book, I tried to pull out some of the statements of uh, purpose that are highlighted from my reading of your book. And a few of them are promote the notion of oneness with with the divine, heal our humanitarian and ecological crises, clearing God's good name, changing humanity's future. Massive objectives, massive goals. Can you better articulate for our friends and family the nature of these lofty goals and how one goes about trying to build an organization like you have with humanity's team to be able to tackle such things?
1: You bet. Well, let me start out just with, so for all of us, it really is following our soul's calling. So I'll get into my, I'll take you through my personal story there. But please, but again, please. I tuned out the worldly noise of of well-meaning people who loved me dearly and said, oh, geez, Steve, you know, you really are making a mistake. People will share that where we're on this conscious journey. What they don't realize is our lives actually go on to become blessed in incredible ways. And I promise you, okay, one of the things that has been given to me in this work is uh, the divine is shared. Uh, there is no favoritism at all, zero. So I have there's nothing that favoritism here toward me. W- the way it was explained to me is: is the more that we move up these levels of consciousness, there's subconsciousness, consciousness, superconsciousness, and supraconsciousness. Superconsciousness yeah. is where a train is coming, and we jump and under the track to push somebody out of the way. It's a kind of a one-time event supra consciousness is where we're saying okay i am going to give of myself to i'm going to align with the divine and i'm going to give myself every day to to really nurturing life serving life in my case through educational programs but where we in our daily practice go within in that prayer and meditation it's where we're intentional and even metaphysical maybe we can come back to that but where we do that and where we're connecting with the divine, we will be given our station in life. We will be, mine was to go start humanities team and to grow it, but all of us, yours, Chad, was to start this amazing podcast that you've got in program. So we will be told where our station in life is and where we're given vision, we are always given provision, which means don't let people talk you out of it. Oh, that won't work. You can't get there. You you will get there. It's part of the universe's way of being is, You were always given provision. So the higher, again, our calling, and the more pure that we are in in service to that calling, the more miracles that manifest, the more resources that come our way. All of these things, now, as we move over and talk about my personal story, those things happen. These things can happen to every single listener here. I want to just want to emphasize that point before I go to me. Every single person here, and just try it if it sounds too lofty. Tried for a week, just going into your own daily practice where you're really commuting and understanding your calling and deciding to serve your calling in a greater way, stretching into your calling in a greater way. So now me, I want to actually start out with things that you know, Chad, from reading my book. Uh, So I did not, I was the middle kid. Middle kids listen well. They're not doing a lot of public speaking. They are my guidance counselor. You probably remember the story, Mr. Jacoby saying, Steve, you know, you are average, You are just average. So, and then bosses, I share throughout the book at IBM and these other places. Steve, you never are going to go above this. Don't feel bad. Most people aren't going to be that talented throughout our lives, right? These are the things we hear and I heard them all along the way of you're just never going to go that far. So don't believe anybody that's listening. Oh, we got a silver spoon and, you know, so, I mean, my life is different than his. No, I promise you I probably got more headwind than the most viewers or listeners. I, mine was just a day by day thing where I believed, where I, I could, where I persevered, where I really stayed with my calling, leaned into my calling that has grown into what it is now. And then yes, as you mentioned, uh, so all of these, the $75 million companies, that whole private jet world, but then. Uh, giving it all up, leaving that behind. I haven't had a paycheck since 1999. That's a lot of years, you know? And of course I created wealth back then, but look at how the stock market and the world is tanked with great recessions and all these things. And yeah. here I am, you know, just uh, we're blessed and growing and growing uh, our educational program that's supporting conscious living. So all of those things that you brought in, they're real. Now, what's interesting is most, all of those things were not just me, see. There were people that had a common vision here uh, yep. along the way, first in Silicon Valley that yeah, saw yeah. that vision of, oh, yes, let's build a great company and and let's do it with, as you know, I talk about open book management. I talk to yep. all of the employees in the company to read financial statements, income statements, balance sheets. we go through all of the finances. Then we create a bonus for all of us to write on. Uh, everything was totally transparent. Together, we they helped me to grow these organizations to the size and scale mm-hmm. that they became. And then as you know, we gave 20% of the uh, of the profits away when we sold that first company that was quite successful to NEC. Now, likewise in humanities team, I have these partners and colleagues all over the world that are, the things I'm talking about, they're, amp them up. It's what gets them up. <laughs> why they're so excited. They, you you wouldn't believe how, I still consider us a small organization, though many yeah. would say we're a midsize, but coming from Silicon Valley, I'd say we're very small Meaningful. in, in terms Ask at hand, yeah. but where you have people, and you know this—I know Chad from with your own program—the people you work with, where everybody's amped up and working together, and there's this whole interdependent thing and not independent thing. It's amazing, you know, how much can be done. The productivity that
0: you generate from an excited team—that's that, amazing. And if I go back to the the episode where I shared with our friends and family my framework for building nonprofit organizations. You touched on all five of the points that that I highlighted in that episode, and so it's great to hear that reaffirmed. Uh, And I'm just going to highlight those for to remind our friends and family and, and to bring them into focus for you as well. Number one, if you are getting people's attention, you are painting a big enough picture. You clearly have that one nailed. You are painting the biggest picture that humanity can possibly focus on when you're talking about this oneness and and consciousness and everything that you're advancing on a global basis number two and this is equally important is that the larger your audience is to whom you're speaking the more succinct your message must be and one of the things that i love that you share right in the pages of the book and i'm looking at page 112 right now you you actually share some of the the writings and some of the public messaging that you and your leadership team created in in 2005 you came up with a statement of direction and that's so important when you're talking about such a large organization trying to mobilize people trying to create apostles for your mission out there in the world some of the things i'm just going to pick a couple of them that i love in here humanity's team is open and transparent in its operation and finance you mentioned that just a moment ago to me that is such an amazing principle in building particularly a nonprofit organization that level of transparency and accountability has to be a theme through everything you do. And then you really spelled out some of the the ethos of what you're doing, the five steps to peace. Humanity's team uses the five steps to peace from the new revelations, which, as you said, came from Neil Donald Walsh and his conversations with God, which was, it, we'll get into that in a couple of minutes, some of the inspiration and the mentorship for what you're doing. Tell us about that process and working with your team to come up with these kind of statements and being able to articulate that out to your entire audience, because it's it's such a gift to be able to do that as an organization.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. Well, yes, I mean, as you mentioned, this is a staple of, of really, if if we're going to build a team to go do something, you need to do these things that you're talking about. We need to understand yeah. what is the vision here? Where are we going? How are we going to get there? This is This is crucial. And it's what gets people excited and and where they're putting, they're not just punching the clock, they're really with you. You know, you've, you've got the wind at your back, you're, you've got maximum productivity. So mm-hmm. these are staples then to to going somewhere. And if you don't build a team, you're not going to go that far. You, you really, the bigger the team, the more reach and impact you can have. So these are skills that we want to learn. Now, my job was, I'm going to call it uh, in some ways, anyway, easy because the way I looked at Conversations with God, which as you may know, was like three years on the New York Times bestseller. Everybody in the world in the 90s was reading book one, book two, book three. You've mentioned yep. other ones, Tomorrow's God. You know, there are nine books actually in total. And the way we looked at it, and the reason that I think so many people were reading it is the wisdom is like, where is this wisdom coming from? Like Neil was saying, is isn't me. You know, I'm asking the questions, but don't think that I'm providing the wisdom. I answered. And he says, it's like taking dictation, right? Or auto writing. He just was writing down what was coming back to him. The wisdom was surreal. You can't really punch holes in this wisdom. It's so unbelievable. The way I've come to think of it, Chad, is in today's world where there's so many challenges, you got parents, you're raising kids, you know, very sacred mission here. When there's there's so much challenge here, isn't it nice that if there were some big public conversation, we all are having conversations with God all the time, right? Our prayers and yeah. our, our uh, practices in the morning and things. But what if there was some big, huge, massive, global conversation with God going on that gave us a little clarity of, oh, okay, well, let me explain who you are, how how you were made, what your invitation in life is. And then your, what uh, what when you come home with God at the end of your life, and, you know, what if there could be this massive, like big public conversation that created some clarity, you know, and even action steps to kind of live a real happy life. That's the way we view the Conversations with God text, which, by the way, is affirmed, you know, by science in most areas. So the five steps to peace you brought in, that came from the New Revelations, one of the books. So, And it says its it's opening is that we're going to open ourselves to new understandings about god and about life is that sounds pretty simple but like i mentioned i grew up in the catholic church a lot of people don't want to do that you know no i even though pope francis actually is reframing things you know saying it is different than what the old catholic church was saying so so he's doing doing the same thing so coming into new understandings about god and about life and then the fifth one i won't go through all five but the fifth step is pretty beautiful it says okay where you have now taken these new understandings about God and about life, and you've sat with them in your inner sanctuary or in your soul space, and where they they are true, they're ringing off the you know really ringing the bell. These are really true for you. That fifth step is, okay, now I'm going to embody these truths. I'm going to live these truths. So okay. it goes back to when you were saying, how do we live into oneness? Uh, it this is how we sit with these truths like if we don't go within we go without that means the daily practice is important so where these practices are true for us where they ring the bell then we live into these practices every day and we serve life around us every day and that's what the fifth step is is yeah. we're not going to just uh, you know it's sort of like a michelin michelin has these stars one two and three for restaurants imagine that you go to a two or three-star Michelin restaurant, the food is outstanding. It's on the table, but you don't want to eat it. That's like in the five steps to peace. That's like you come into these new understandings that are incredible, but you don't quite want to live them. At I mean, the why would you not eat right right the most delicious part? You know, yeah. eat that meal, embody and express those truths.
0: So yeah, that's it's uh, really beautiful. And and to put it in very commercial terms, Neil. Donald Walsh and, and really operating as a, a vessel or an instrument of the divine, as he has, has described it, gave you a great product to work with. And your job was to go out and sell that. And so it was really great to have that basis. But getting there, the operations, the organization, the infrastructure, I hope you don't downplay the, the heavy lifting that you've done. And you highlighted Actually, you touched on point three and point four in my model for building nonprofit organizations. One point three is if your HR doesn't follow your mission, you don't really have a mission. And that's about hiring really good people to do what you need to do and putting them to work. And then number four is build an effective team of volunteer leaders around you and recruiting those people in who are volunteering their time and giving of their time to make a difference. Can you share a few key highlights and maybe a couple of stories of individuals, either people you've hired into the organization to work on what you're doing as their day job, or the amazing group of volunteers from all walks of life at some of the highest levels of our culture that have become a part of humanities too?
1: You bet. Yeah. And I could uh, talk all day long, but I'm going to keep this short. So we have 65 country coordinators, all volunteer out around the world in middle east all over the world in hot spots and they're not paid their their expenses are not even reimbursed they just are there held up their hand and took this role on as country coordinator because they want to this aspect of understanding oneness and living into it and and helping humanities team to unite humanity that's that's our mission we're uniting humanity that's why it's called yeah. humanities team
0: there yeah. are eight
1: billion of us here we don't it's not just state lines or country lines or county lines. It's like, hey, all eight billion of you, you know, we are the same species. Our our mission is uniting humanity uh, to to live into this diversity and unity and things. And uh, they're very passionate about it. And uh, incredible. What uh, one of them was uh, has recently passed. He was in a wheelchair his whole Holy. life. Oh my God, what an incredible. He used to fly into the U.S. Uh, he'd have to have somebody come with him because he was. Uh, in a wheelchair. But you, this man was on fire. And what he did in wow. Argentina, where he represented it, he'd fly into all of these countries with us, would lead uh, these free hugs and different exercises uh, and this these study groups and all these things. I mean, an amazing man. Gabriela Vruch was his name. So now in the center of humanities team, the woman who's the director of operations just the most loving, caring, kind person in the whole world, uh, and she's a director of operations in, in a nonprofit. That's what you want. You know, we yep. want, this that's is it. not about, oh, well, let's push them and get another, insure. you know, no, 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 no. Our whole Truth thing. You have
0: to lead with heart for sure where you're in a no, position.
1: It's a nonprofit. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, this is, we need to understand our most important thing is actually how we're leading And working with our partners and colleagues every day and you know there's no the destination and journey are one so we are never like oh where there's a destination out here i'm going to push harder to get to that no 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 never we we are about embodying again that fifth step to peace embody the truth of what this is you'll get it you know people will respect you for that where they can see you're a little more patient more kind you listen better you really hear what you listen to you act on that and you're giving appreciation all the time because you value diversity and unity. So these are things, again, that are just staples to to how you're going to live your life and, and grow your organization, or in this case, grow your nonprofit. So to, to your point, Chad, I don't want to represent this as over 20 years of just some cakewalk. As you know, reading the book, we actually hit the wall almost. There were, yeah. there were a good number of times that were very yeah. challenging. One was where We were planning actually to liquidate because we really just hit the end of the road and we were looking to just bulk up everybody's uh, income, that final check to give them a maximum lead time to go find another job. But here's the thing is, you know, when I was saying I was like floating on a raft, but but I still have challenges. What I found in this where we're really working at a very pure level with our nonprofit is we'll get on our side. And sometimes it may, you know, I thought then I was going over, this thing is ending. Now, I talked very honestly about that. Mm -hmm. It didn't end. And I think that is one of the things that we can find to be true. Again, the vision and provision is it might look like it's going to end. Might come real close, but uh, we'll be actually guided and supported through it. We'll get to the other side. Humanities team has already grown into a pretty massive Mm nonprofit. And honestly, in the months and years ahead, I can only imagine because we're supporting people on their conscious journey. And as you, when I brought in Galileo moment, I'm saying there's maybe nothing more urgent or important right now than this really going through our own personal awakening and living as offspring, you know, of the, I'm going to say of the divine, you know, really uh, coming into our own personal mission in this life, living it to its fullest, a delicious life, but also a life that creates a better
0: world. Absolutely. And one of the things you said, and I think this is important in a nonprofit context is If you're not facing those kind of existential challenges, are we going to make it to the next day? You're probably not pushing the envelope hard enough on your mission. And I think that's a testament to the value of the organization, to the strength of its mission, and to everything you're looking to accomplish when you have those moments of, are we going to make it? And so congratulations for encountering those moments, and congratulations for surpassing those moments and and working your way through them. And I want to come back to my fifth and final point, uh, which I think is really fundamental to your organization. And I want to give you a chance to talk about this one as well. There is no such thing as a small contribution. That's the fifth element of the framework that I've established for nonprofit organizations. And I, Steve, it doesn't. Someone doesn't have to be a tech millionaire to be part of Humanity's team and to be able to make a positive contribution. Tell us about how anyone and everyone can be a part of the amazing mission that you guys have put together and really participate in this, this system of oneness and this organization.
1: Yes, boy. So that's beautiful to bring this in, Chad. And let me let me start with um, this, what you're saying, there's no small contribution. So, And I work with amazing people with huge open hearts. So I want to just emphasize your point because I love it. There is no small contribution. Yeah. Um, it's really about you know, how loving
0: can we be? Well, Dadage's friends and family, how loving are you as a person? I'll leave you today with this question to ponder until we pick up right here on our next episode of Dadages. Join us for the conclusion of this interview with Steve Farrell. And until then, also keep in mind, dad may not always know what he's talking about, but he sure can sound like he does.